use that same language, and asks him, of all the commandments, which is the greatest? Of all the commandments, which is the greatest? A different question. Luke's question has this guy saying, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And another unique thing about Luke's account is in Matthew and Mark, when the man comes to test Jesus and says, of all the commandments, which is the greatest, Jesus simply answers and says, the greatest commandment is this, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with your heart, with all your soul, with your mind, and all your strength. And the second one is similar to it, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus simply answers the question. I think it's in Mark's gospel. You can check me out if I may be wrong. I think it's in Mark's gospel that the person responds to Jesus and says, um, you've answered, you know, that, that, that's right, Rabbi, because of all, all, the other, all the other commandments hinge on those. And Jesus then says to him, you're not far from the kingdom. You're not far from the kingdom. But in Luke's gospel, it's a very unique telling of that same story because Luke doesn't have Jesus answering the question. Jesus does what Jan gets so irritated <laughs> when I do it because she'll ask me a question and I ask one back. She'll why do you always answer my questions with a question? <laughs> because like every red-blooded American male, I'm trying to put it off for a while. <laughs> Just, I don't want, but anyhow, in Luke's account, the expert comes and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says to him, what does the law say? How do you read it? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? And he, the man answered, love the Lord your God with your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. The man, as he responds to Jesus, and in Matthew and Mark's accounts as Jesus responds to the, to the expert in the law, they recite the Shema from Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 and 5. And added to that, Leviticus 9, 18, love your neighbor as yourself. So that's where they come from. This, this everyday quote, of a Jewish person. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with your heart, with your soul, and your strength. Interestingly, in the New Testament, it adds mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. And that's how this guy responds to Jesus, this expert in the law. And Jesus says, you're right. You've answered correctly. Note his response. You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. 
do this and you will live. I don't know about you, but I am totally taken by that response to this question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, what's the law say? How do you understand it? How do you read it? Love the Lord your God with heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Do this, and you will live. I'm just, I'm, I'm completely pulled into that. I, you know, just taken in by that response. My, I am, my mind is nearly overwhelmed because that response from Jesus stands in such contrast to so much of what Christianity has taught me over the course of my life. Takes me back to what I talked a little bit about last Sunday, where we, where, where we have this understanding that you have to have right beliefs and right doctrines and right practices and you know, keep the right traditions. And Jesus says nothing like that. He doesn't say anything about that whatsoever. He says nothing like, well, you must believe in me. Or you must believe this or this or this or that about me. You must pray a certain prayer. You must have a certain, certain life experiences. You must practice this or that in just this or that way. None of that. He doesn't say any of that at all. He simply says, in response to love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, strength, and your neighbor as yourself, Jesus says, do that, and you will live. What is he getting at? What have we done with that simplicity, that simple truth that Jesus proclaims as he responds to this testing by an expert in the law? Remember the words of Jeremiah from last week. Jeremiah the Lord speaking through the prophet Jeremiah says to the children of Israel or to the nation of Judah, when I brought your forefathers out of Egypt and spoke to them in the wilderness, I did not just give them commands about burnt offerings and sacrifices, but I gave them this command, obey my voice and I will be your God and you will be my people. All of those external things that we wrap around our relationship with God simply complicate what is of the heart and what is pure. Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Everything else, according to Paul, everything else, and a while back, a few weeks ago, Luke brought a message from this chapter, Romans 13. And according to Paul in Romans 13, and these are his words, whatever other commandments there may be, let me find it and read it very quickly. Let no debt remaining out, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. The commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, whatever other commandments there may be, 
And that's the phrase, whatever other commandments there may be, whatever external things you can wrap around this relationship that you're to have with God, whatever that may be, is summed up in this one rule, he says, love your neighbor as yourself. For love does no harm to its neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. But we, so often, like the expert in the law, in Luke's account, we want to justify ourselves, and so like the expert in the law, we ask the question, well, who's my neighbor? You have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. And so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? <clears throat> and that question leads Jesus to respond with what my Bible, and I don't know how your Bible is organized, but what my Bible titles, has little titles, Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan. Jesus responds to that question, well, who's my neighbor? By telling that very familiar parable of the Good Samaritan. And probably most of us here this morning, probably most of us could turn to our neighbor in the pew right now and tell that story because it's so familiar. You know, we, it, it is a, it is a, a favorite children's story to teach in Sunday school and Bible school as we're coming up through. A certain man was going from Jerusalem down to Jericho and he was set upon by robbers who beat him, robbed him, and left him laying by the side of the road. And then a priest happened by, and when he saw the man laying beside the road, the priest crossed to the other side of the road and went on his way. Shortly after that, a Levite happened by, and in the same way, seeing the man beside the road, he crosses to the other side and goes on his way. And eventually a Samaritan came by. And when he saw the man, he went to him and rendered first aid, bandaged his wounds, then put him on his own donkey and took him to the nearest place of shelter, to the nearest inn, and gave the innkeeper instructions and money and said, care for this man until he's well. And if it costs more than I've given you here, the next time I come by, I'll pay you back. And then Jesus says to the expert of the law, so which of these was a neighbor to the man who was injured? And the expert of the law says, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus says, go and do likewise. Love your neighbor. Why would our Bibles, and why would our children's books, and why would our children's lessons title this the story or the parable of the Good Samaritan? Why would we do that? We would do that because Samaritans were not good. The Samaritans were not considered good. 
In fact, they were detestable spiritual half-breeds in the minds of the Jews. To this expert in the Jewish law, a Samaritan would have been a detestable spiritual half-breed. Impure, outsiders, aliens, alien occupiers of, of Jewish land, foreigners, strangers who do not belong. That's what a Samaritan was. And so we say, we call it the story of the good Samaritan because it stands in contrast to what the Samaritans, who the Samaritans were to the Jews. In short, they were not like us. You know, I said some weeks ago in a message, I talked some weeks ago about where the Samaritans come from, who they descended from, going clear back to the conquest of the northern kingdom of Israel by the Assyrian Empire. And the Assyrian Empire had a practice when they conquered an area of mass exodus, moving the people out and moving other people groups in. If you go back and read uh, in, the, in the Old Testament, the history, you can, you can read about this. So the Assyrians moved the northern kingdom, the 12 tribes of Israel. They moved them out, never to be seen again. God brings back a remnant of the tribes of Judah and Benjamin, the nation of Judah. He brings back a remnant from Babylon. But those who were dispersed by the Assyrians, we call them the lost 10 tribes. We have no idea. The Jewish people today descend from the nation of Judah. The Israelite nation, as God said through the prophets, totally destroyed. And in their place, these people groups, and the Old Testament will tell you where they came from, these people groups were moved in to that area of Samaria. And if you remember my message, and you probably don't, one of the things that really struck me as I was reading the stories of Ezra and Nehemiah in the Old Testament earlier this year, it struck me that as that remnant that came back from Babylon began to build the temple, the residents of Samaria came to them and said, let us help because we too seek your God. That was the ancestors of the Samaritans. That was the ancestors of the people of Jesus' day who were hated because they, were, they didn't belong. They weren't like us. So Jesus asks, Jesus tells this story where this detestable, spiritual half-breed, alien occupier, is the one who shows mercy. And then Jesus says, who, who do you think is a neighbor? And the man responds, the one who shows mercy. Sounds a little bit like Micah 6.8, doesn't it? He has shown you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? That's what he expects of you. So then Jesus says to him, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. 
I saw this in a meme on Facebook quite some time ago, and I said, I, I want one of those, those banners. Love your neighbor. Love your Samaritan neighbor. Love your neighbor who does not look like you, think like you, love like you, speak like you, pray like you, vote like you. Love your neighbor, no exceptions. And it seems to me that that's the message that Jesus is trying to get across to this guy. Because remember the motivation of this guy when Jesus says, you know, do this and you will live. The motivation was what? I want to create myself a little wiggle room. I want to justify myself. I want to justify the way I'm living my life right now. So I'll ask Jesus, well, well who's my neighbor? And Jesus chooses to use the most offensive, unlovable, you know, just unheard of example to teach this lesson of how we are to live. Go, he says, and do likewise. So when we get the chance, I have no idea at this point in time when I'll be able to print a poster, but when we get the chance to sign our covenant again, we commit ourselves. It's in the bottom statement. I covenant together to be a part of this fellowship, to attend, to worship, to give, to learn, to study, but most of all, and this is, this is key, most of all, to love the Lord with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and my neighbor as myself. So when we have opportunity to sign that, we become together a covenant people in response to this call of Jesus. Do that. Do that, and you will live. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your unending call to your people. We thank you for the words that ring through the generations and have for thousands of years. O oh Lord, you are Lord alone, and you call us to love you with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our strength, and all of our mind. And beyond that love that we are called to have for you, you challenge us to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. Thank you for the wealth of your word, that we have the, the words of Jesus to issue this call, to issue this challenge, and with the call and the challenge, also this incredible reassurance that if we are faithful to this covenant of love, we will live. And not just live here in life that is filled with so many adversities and confusions, but we will live an eternal life 
a life in and with you. So I thank you that you call us. I thank you that we have opportunity to covenant together, to become, in the words of Jeremiah, those for whom you will be God and we will be your people. I pray in Christ Jesus that you would make it so. In Jesus' name, amen. Brings us to our time for announcements. If anybody has any announcements, shout them out. Um, in the bulletin, church council meeting last week decided to um, uh, do a uh, mail mailing to the to the entire congregation again, uh, polling the congregation on several questions that came up at our council discussions. One is, when and how do we reopen Sunday school? That's something that I'd like to initiate a dialogue on. Um, to uh, to come to a conclusion on that. And then what guidelines to follow for, for uh, beginning children's ministries in the fall, uh, Bible Memory and Venture Club in particular. And then um, taking a vote on the calling of Lucas Johnson to serve as pastor. Again, the um, transition committee, the transition search committee made a recommendation to the church council back in March, on March 15th, that Luke be considered the candidate um, for this uh, ministry. The, the council had voted unanimously at that point to bring that to the congregation at the congregational business meeting that was scheduled, at that time was scheduled for the last Sunday of March. Uh, but that meeting did not happen, obviously. And so we're looking for a way to move forward with that um, and and make that final vote. So be watching for that mailing. Uh, the instructions on it, I hope, are clear. I had Jan um, edit it twice for me for clarity purposes. The third time I gave it to her, and she looked it over, and I said, don't make any changes. <laughs> but I think, I think the instructions on that will be clear. Basically, you will be able to vote in in two ways. You can fill out the ballot that is included with a stamped self-addressed envelope. So I hope we get a, a better response than the earlier letter that I had sent out. But you can fill out the ballot and mail it back in the, in the enclosed envelope. Or you can bring your ballot with you to a business meeting on the 19th of July, two weeks from today. In the afternoon after church, we'll have an in-person business meeting for those who are comfortable attending. And you can vote in person there if you would like to say whatever, make whatever comments that you want to, want to make on the matter in person and vote in person, you can do that. But the ballot you receive in the mail is your ballot. So make sure you bring that back with you. You know, I, I tried to think through all of the things and all the questions that we might get asked of, well, how do you know people aren't voting by mail and then showing up to vote again in person and, you know, all of those kind of things and stuffing the ballot? No. So I, I, I know exactly how many ballots I printed. I know exactly how many I mailed. 
Uh, they're not numbered. It's, it's totally confidential. You don't have to put your name on it. They're not numbered. There's going to be no way for anybody to keep track. I, I spoke with Ron Troyer, who was the, the uh, chairman of the committee, and um, his suggestion is that on the, the ballots that are mailed in will not be opened until that meeting on the 19th. And on the 19th, we will have Mike and Chad, who are elders and also served on the transition committee. We will have them do the tabulation. So that's kind of, if there are any questions about that. I was a little bit uncomfortable. I've tried to stay a step or two away from the whole process. Um, as I said earlier, there have been accusations that I was <clears throat> trying to foist Luke upon all of you. Um, I've tried to step a t uh, stay a step or two away from the process, but uh, but when the council said, "Well, let's send out a letter," you know, I said, "Well, who who does that?" <laughs> Everybody kind of looks at you. <laughs> what do you do? So anyway, that is coming. Be looking for that. We will be having, as I said, that congregational business meeting in the afternoon of the 19th. We talked about the possibility of having it outside. Uh, I don't know, just. I think for all, the, for all the more people that there may be, it might be just easier to do it in here and crank up the AC and be more comfortable. So you'll also see in the bulletin that the gospel concert is still scheduled for the 25th. Um, and Ron would like to do an, a benefit auction for that on the 14th. That's Tuesday, July 14th at Hennick's Auction House. I think in the evening, I, I should have clarified that. But, um, and you can donate items for that benefit auction at any time, but he would like you to call ahead. So his number's there in the bulletin. So if you have items that you would like to donate for the auction to benefit the uh, gospel concert, um, call Ron and he said they can be dropped off at the auction house at any time. Any other announcements? Any other announcements that anybody has? good transition into our sharing and prayer time. Um, <clears throat> if there are no other announcements, we'll go into our time for sharing prayer requests and needs. Um, spoke with my brother Don yesterday evening. He's, he's doing somewhat better, but still gets out of breath very, very easily. Um, <clears throat> he's um, being treated with steroids and some other medication for COPD. Um, <clears throat> He basically said to me all of his years of welding without a mask or any kind of protection and, and all of his years of smoking, uh, finally catching up to him, I guess. His lungs are, are uh, not what they ought to be. So let's keep Don and Christy in our prayers. Uh, some 